Hi, I'm Anthony Sharon, pastor of First Assembly of God of Greater Lansing, better known as GL First. I hope this message connects you to God's Word and His vision for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org. Thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. I am Pastor Anthony, and I will be your speaker for this, uh, looks like evening outside, because, doesn't it? It's kind of weird. <laughs> so I almost said, hey, for this evening, but um, it's not. It's 11 o'clock in the morning, and it really looks like 8 o'clock at night out there. Um, fun fact for you, just talking to somebody, and um, you know, did you know Lansing is like second or third? Uh, and the list of cities with uh, the most rainfall in a calendar year? Is that, that's, not a, that's not something that you pin on your chest and go, hey, I live in the second or third uh, most uh, city with the most rainfall. It's just not something you do. Seattle, they're number one, so they, get, they can do that. They can represent us, we're second or third, and it just feels like uh, depressing, you right? Oh, man, we got a a lot to get through today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. Today we're talking about responding under fire. Okay, now it's, it's important that you understand this. We're talking about responding under fire, not reacting under fire. Because a lot of us react, right? But we want to learn how to respond, and we get a lot of those lessons through Nehemiah. Now, what really what we're talking about is this, is that anytime you go to do something good, opposition is going to come. And it's going to come in different forms. It's going to come spiritually, physically, uh, internally, okay? We, we are our own opposition a lot of times with the words that we speak to ourselves, our self-talk. So we're going to talk through that stuff today and hopefully get you to respond properly when the time comes, because anything that you do that is going to be great is going to come under fire. Okay? Um, I was praying over this message and thinking about it, and I was thinking about uh, uh, Eleanor, Dr. Quay. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, she has been under fire. She is our, our missionary in this church, and her heart is for the inner city of this city, Lansing. For the kids in this city, the, the uh, underprivileged, okay, the ones that, that, that get forget, forgotten about, and the only time we talk about them is when they're in trouble. And she said, no, I want to do something. My heart goes out for this. And so she did. So what she did is she started doing pop-up church, okay, in all these communities. And she said, you know, that's not enough. So she, she decided to open a clinic because she's a doctor, to try to help people who have no insurance. So she opened a, a clinic, and half of it served as a church, half of it served as a clinic, okay? While still attending here, all of this, and still attends every, every Sunday. So the rest of you have no excuse. That's what I'm trying to say, right? Can I get an amen, Dr. Quay? <laughs> all right, so here, here's the thing. She, she's doing something great for the Lord. And she came under fire. She came under fire. She started getting um, uh, people coming down on her, okay? The, the police, uh, the, um, uh, what is it, the attorney general's office, the, uh, all these things just started coming down on her. And I kid you not, I kid you not, and I won't go into details of this thing, okay? But I, I do know this, that, that she is innocent of any wrongdoing, okay? I do know that 100%. I know it not only uh, in my spirit, but I went to every, every court session with her, and I heard all the evidence. I heard it. And if I can discern it, um, I know that any, anybody can. The judge decided, it was like, this really isn't nothing just... You got to get rid of this, right? But there's levels to this, okay? Um, anyways, how do I know this was personal? Because one comment somebody made was this. Well, I went to the clinic, and I noticed there's a bunch of people standing around smoking cigarettes. 
and there's cigarette butts in the parking lot. Do you remember when, you remember that? And I thought, wow, how crazy. This is, this is what you're testifying to. You're saying that this, this clinic is in wrong standing because of the people and the clientele that come in. How many of you think that's crazy? Okay, it is. It's, it's absolutely maddening. Okay, but what's worse than that is because of these views, she can't practice. She couldn't practice in the areas that she wanted to. And it had to be shut down. And because of that, that was funding a lot of the pop-up churches. Those had to be shut down. Okay, but she's still doing it. She's still doing God's work. She's still fighting through. And this, I, I want to, I wanna, she has court this week. Okay, and so if I forget, because sometimes I get on a roll, and I just forget, I, like lose my mind. When I start to pray, I need you to stand up. Okay, and come up here. Because we're going to stand in the gap for her today. Because that's what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We stand in the gap for one another, right? And, and so she needs us to intercede for her this week. She has proceedings that could go on all week. Okay? Starting tomorrow. And yet she's still going to drive kids to camp this week. She's still going to do that. She's still going to do the things that she was called to do. Because when we come under fire, all we can do is do the right thing, the next right thing. That's all we can do. That's all we have control over, people. We need to make the choice to do the next right thing. You say, hey, I don't know what to do in this whole plan. Everything seems like it's a, a, a dumpster fire. Yeah, well, choose the next right thing. There's the easiest thing you can do. Right? In this whole progression of life, choose to do the next right thing. You already know what that is. Now you got to choose to do it. A lot of us, when we come under fire, we can't even get out of bed or off the couch. So choose the next right thing. If you're a parent, choose to speak life into your kids, even when you don't feel like there's life inside of you. That's the sacrifice we make. If you're a husband or a wife, choose to speak life into your spouse, even when you don't feel like there's life inside of you. That's the next right thing. And continue doing that, and God will start to illuminate your path. You'll start to burn passion into your heart. Start bowing down and praying. And, and I'm going to tell you this. Life doesn't get easier when you start praying. Is that a testament? Does life get easier when you start praying, Dr. Quay? No. More fire comes. But here's the thing. You're equipped to deal with it. You're equipped to deal with it. You have a couple ways of looking at opposition in life, I guess. Especially if you are a believer and you are praying. How many prayer warriors do I have in the house today? If you are praying, you have a couple of ways to look at the opposition that comes. You can go, oh man, life is really hard. I can't do this. Or you can go, man, thank God I prayed. Could you imagine how worse it would have been if I didn't? Think about that. That's just a mindset switch. That's, that's the words we speak to ourselves. Some of you, it's, it's a struggle to just keep going, to just take one step at a time. It's a struggle. I get it. Life is like that. One day, though, you're not going to have this gift of life. And you're going to be up next to the Father. And all of this stuff is going to be behind you, and it's going to be a blink of an eye. You'd be like, hey, you remember those 80 years I was on the earth? You remember those 60 years? You remember those 50 years that I was here on earth struggling? I was building character, that character I get to take with me to the kingdom. So who's ready to hear from God's word today? Amen? So glad that you could be here. Today is uh, part three of a four-part sermon series from, uh, uh, that we call Leaving Your Mark. 
laying the foundation for our legacy, people. That's what we're doing. We're laying the foundation for our legacy. So I pray that the message would be encouraging to you, but the reality is, is that we're going to start off talking about some pretty tough stuff today. And so the encouraging part is, is, is this. I'm going to lay it right out. You can get through this. Look at your neighbor and say, you can get through this. Okay? You can. You can do this. Okay? I don't know what you're facing this week. I don't know what you're facing this month. I don't know what you faced last week. Okay? But the fact that you're here this morning says that you have a little fight left in you. All right? So we're going to ask God to continue this fight. And when we can't fight, he's going to fight for us. And he's going to send people to fight for us. He will win. We sang about it. We sang about his victory, right? We just worshiped him and said, hey, it's your victory, your victory. You got victory for me. Well, now it's time to start believing that. Not just singing it, but speaking it over yourself. And knowing that he will get you through. He will get you through. Today's message is entitled... Re, uh, responding under fire. And here's what I, I hope you'll understand. Is that uh, anytime that God leads you, anytime that he prompts you to do something meaningful, to make a difference, to uh, do something generous, something that benefits someone else, something that is lasting, unfortunately, you can expect opposition. You can expect the oven to start getting a little warm. You can expect the pan will be hot to your touch. And you may get burnt. But you're going to be okay. Did you know that scars are stronger than your regular skin? Did you know that? Scars are, scar tissue is actually stronger than your regular skin. It's thicker, it's, it's built up, and it, and it lets you know that you've been through some things. It lets you know that, man, you know what? I survived, and I'm still fighting, and I'm still in this thing. Scars are our chance to remember the victories that the Lord has gotten us through. And a lot of us, we don't wear our scars on the outside. Our scars are here on the inside. So today, we're going to be looking at um, this resistance that comes and tries to slow your work. You can expect spiritual resistance. You can expect uh, physical resistance. You can expect your, your mind to start playing little bitty tricks on you. And here's the thing. Every great person has had to overcome some sort of opposition. Just look in the Bible, okay? We can start in the beginning. Adam and Eve, right? They were serving God, and then they met a serpent, an evil serpent that tried to uh, resist them, to distract them from God's will. Moses had Pharaoh, right? And uh, David had, uh, anybody know? Goliath, right? Nice, physically intimidating guy. In the New Testament, Jesus had uh, Herod. Jesus also had the Pharisees. Jesus also had the Jewish leaders. Jesus also had Judas. Jesus also had the devil. Jesus also had the demons. Jesus also has all of the uh, Twitter people going crazy. Right? All the Twitter haters, all the uh, Facebook haters, all the Instagram haters, all the people wearing t-shirts that say anti-Christ on them and stuff like that. I mean, he had it all, and he's still getting it to this day. Batman had Joker. Luke Skywalker had Darth Vader. Right? We have opposition. Nehemiah is the person that we're going to be talking about today. Nehemiah... He had uh, Sanballat and uh, Tobiah. And he also had others that opposed his work. A lot of times we focus on the wall, but man, do you know that's what's coming into this story? This is a lot of leadership stuff is, is packed into Nehemiah. I, if you are just joining us, I, I pray that you would go back and read 
the first three chapters and catch up after we're done. But I'm going to attempt today to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, all the way through, okay? And then we're going to go through and just touch on a couple things and pull out some things. But I want to give you the whole context right up front, all right? So let's go uh, to the Word and let it speak to us. One day I'm going to get somebody that's like a Bible reader. That's your only job. And be like, the reading of the word goes too. For now, it's just me. So, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Sanballat, and I know some of you are probably going, it's not Sanballat, it's Sanballat. And blah, blah, blah. It's Sanballat because the guy on Audible said so. <laughs> Mic drop. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the enemy and the army of uh, Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Circle the word feeble because we're going to come back to that. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, yes, what they are building is a fox. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Here, O oh God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. That's a, that's a good prayer. I don't suggest praying that prayer against your enemies, but it might make you feel good for a minute. He said this too, do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. Remember, this is Old Testament. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its weight or height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the uh, Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the uh, breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to build, to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them, came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come together just to uh, go through your word, Father, I pray that just reading the word aloud would speak to our hearts to give us encouragement. Father, I pray that anybody that feel, is feeling discouraged today, that is feeling like they can't do it today. Father, I pray that you would speak 
to them. Speak life to them. Speak encouragement. Speak strength into their lives right now, Lord. I pray at this moment that just as Nehemiah said, that they would not be afraid of any of the opposition that lays around them, that comes face to face with them, that comes in between them and greatness. Father, I pray that they would remember who you are, that you are great and you are awesome, and that they would stand up in the midst of the flames and the fire, and they would fight not just for themselves, but for their brothers, their sons, their daughters, their wives, their husbands, for their homes, for their church, for your kingdom. Father, I pray that today would be a day that would be marked on their calendar, that would be written on their hearts, that today would be the beginning of the rest of their lives, that today would be the the beginning of the good fight, not the end. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You guys are dismissed. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just, you know that's not true. I've got like 20 pages. Buckle up. So perhaps you're just joining us and, uh, and you don't know the backstory. So I'll give you a little bit of backstory. Maybe you missed the previous two weeks, right? Uh, Nehemiah, he was an ordinary guy who, he was a cupbearer to the king uh, of uh, Persia, okay? And he heard about the plight of his people some thousand miles away, okay? Uh, They were in a horrible situation because they had been, um, their city had been uh, destroyed by the Babylonians. Their people had been taken captive. Um, So his heart was breaking for his people. And he realized Somebody's got to do something about this. Somebody's got to do something about this. And then he said, you know what? It might as well be me. So he sought God. He asked for favor from God. He approaches the king. And he says, may I go back and rebuild this city? And it's a fascinating story of a spiritual journey and a heart for leadership of an ordinary guy who believed that God could use him to do something that has never been done before. From that time on, it has never been done before. So I pray that you go back and you read about it. I'm not going to go through it and hash things out. Um, so read the first three chapters, catch up with us. We have uh, study sheets. Uh, you can have all my notes and everything. These things aren't secret. You can have them, take them, uh, study it, and Get caught up for next week. So what's crazy is this guy was inspiring these ordinary people to come along and do his work. In other words, um, he's saying, you know what? Like, I'm I'm a pastor, and and AJ was was saying, you know, that I was cleaning. Well, I'm not a a janitor, right? I'm a pastor, and, and, and I'm not a contractor. But do you know that... When God gives me an assignment, all of a sudden I become a janitor and a contractor and, and all of these things that I never knew I could be. I mean, I've had to, I, when I was at church in the city, I had to build a bathroom. And I've never, people are like, do you do construction? Nope, never. Have you ever done plumbing? Nope, nope. But I might as well try on the Lord's house, right? I mean, we, I, I've done electrical in here, and, and I'm not an electrician. You know, I learned how to bypass a ballast. Some of you don't even know what a ballast is, right? I, if you're an electrician, you know what a ballast is, and you know what bypassing it is, and you think that right now I'm pretty darn cool. Okay? But yeah, I, I have to do things that normally I wouldn't do. I spend some of the nights shampooing carpets. And my goal is that by doing these things, taking care of the Lord's house, that I would inspire other people to come alongside me and do it as well. I'm not above these things. No, therefore, none of you should be above these things. Okay? And, and so what AJ was asking is this. 
we have families that come in once a month to help us clean. We need help. So we hope that you would sign up as a family and say, hey, we want to take this on and help clean the sanctuary, the lobby, the bathrooms once a month. If you can do that, commit to that, and other people can do that, then that takes more off of my plate so that I can take my attention elsewhere. That's what we need, okay? And I'm hoping by doing that, it inspires you to come alongside me and do that as well. Nehemiah was kind of in the same boat. He has never built a wall before. He was a cupbearer. I mean, the hardest thing he had to do was not die after drinking the king's wine. You understand? That's what a cupbearer does. It was like, hey, taste this. Cool. Wow, that's strong. That's good stuff. Here you go. Right? Or, wow, that tastes horrible. Try this. You ever notice that whenever something really tastes horrible, that's when you ask somebody to try it, not when it's really good? And it, that's just a sidebar. And so Nehemiah, he was in this position that he had to build a gate. He had to build a wall. And he had never done this kind of work before. And so here's the thing. None of these people, Nehemiah wasn't a masonry, and he attracted ordinary people to do this. And none of these other people were masonaries either. They weren't carpenters. He was working with goldsmiths, merchants, perfume makers. Could you imagine a perfume maker? I, like, in my mind, I can't imagine a perfume maker. And I'm not picking on perfume makers. It just seems like a very um, non-labor-intensive job, right? Like, those people probably don't have any cuticles on their hands or any rough spots, right? And, and these, these people were building a wall. They were taking these bricks out of the rubble, cleaning them off and saying, yeah, we can reuse this. Let's put it in and let's build this stuff. He was using ordinary people. What was interesting is they started making progress. And for the first time, the gates were going up. There was progress on the walls. And the people started to think, man, maybe, just maybe we can actually do this. You ever feel like that? You ever get momentum going? We had, we had momentum going into um, 2020 as a church. I mean, we were giving sermons like, oh, man, Lord's got this vision. It's going to be great. And, blah, 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 blah. and it was good, man. I mean, we had, it, was, it was starting to fill up, right? We were doing meetings on Sunday nights, man. It had like 70, 80 people show up. And this is not like a fisherman thing. This was actual numbers, okay? And, and so, I mean, it was, it was wonderful. And then all of a sudden, one Sunday, it went from, oh, this is amazing, to we're not having church anymore. That's, that's kind of what they, they, they felt like. That's how I kind of imagine it and picture it, right? They're having this pro progress. They were having, finally getting the right momentum swinging in their direction, and the enemy hates momentum because he knows that it's hard to stop it. Because momentum is like a big boulder. And, and once you get it rolling, it's easier to keep pushing in that direction. It's hard to stop, though. It's hard to stop because it outweighs the opposition most of the time. So whenever the work starts to go, opposition is going to show up and try to slow it. The moment you, you tend to start thinking about doing something that glorifies God, you can set your calendar to know that spiritual opposition is going to show up. And, and see, this is what happens in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. If you look at verse 1, it says, When Samballot heard that, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly enraged. So what does Samballot do? He ridicules the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he says, you know what? What are those feeble Jews doing? Now, I told you to circle the word feeble because it's interesting. I had to go back and kind of look it up and see what, what, what exactly that meant in that context, right? And so from the Hebrew text, it actually means like a flower that was chopped off. That's what it means. That's what feeble means in the Hebrew text, okay? And what it means in this context is this, is it means a flower that is now dead. So when he's saying feeble, he's saying they're hopeless. 
They're lifeless. They have no chance of rebuilding this wall. No hope at all. You can't do this. What are these feeble Jews doing? Then he says, will they rebuild and restore the wall? Question mark. Will they ever offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from this heap of rubble burned as they are? Then Tobiah the Ammonite um, joins into the berating party. Tobiah was at his side and he says, hey, what are they building? Even a fox can climb up on it and it would break down their walls of stone. So what do we see? We see progress brings opposition. And unfortunately, this is true for all of us. All of us. Progress brings opposition. Who knows? Perhaps in the last few weeks, you were moved in a direction of doing something that could make a difference. Okay? Um, Maybe all of a sudden, you had opposition. It could be as simple as you just decided to come back to church for the first time in a long time. You're like, man, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to tell you, as soon as you do this and make that decision, all of a sudden, if you have kids, your kids will do something and you'll start to yell at them. Or your spouse will do something if you're married. Something will happen. I've seen it a lot of times where people have decided to come back to church. And as they were leaving, they get into a fight with their spouse or their teenagers. Right? And this person who normally doesn't cuss is cussing out everybody in the house and then driving to church, going, man, and, and all they got is, oh, I can't stand this person, this person is doing this, I can't believe this happened. And they're on their way to worship the Lord in the house of prayer. <laughs> Getting to the worst fight ever. And then we go straight to worship, right? Now, I'm, I'm, Miles isn't the only one that's been through this, right? Okay, I'm just saying, right? This, this is a real thing. I'm not just making this up. Okay, this stuff happens, okay? It's okay, we're all family. We, we know. Let's not pretend like everything is rosy and pretty on our way to church. I'm telling you, on the way to church is a lot of the times where we get the most opposition, especially in my house. We got to come early. We got to wake kids up. Sometimes you go to use the bathroom and somebody's in the shower and you're like, are you kidding me? Why would you take a shower now? You're not even leaving. You know I got to leave. That's never happened though. A figment of my imagination. It could be that you're trying to get out of debt, right? And you, and you've, and you said, you know what? We're going to pay off these bills and you got it all lined up. You even made a spreadsheet. And the moment you declare it, your car breaks down. Can I get an amen? Right? How many of you guys know that tires cost a lot of money? Right? Well, it's just a flat tire. Yeah, that flat tire means, oh, you go, you take it in. They go, well, you know what? You can't just replace one. At the bare minimum, you need to do two. And I wouldn't do just two because your back ones are bad too. So you go ahead and just replace all four. Here's a cool thousand dollars. Amen? Because your tires are just out of warranty. <laughs> you decide to, to, to serve in church for the first time in a long time. You're like, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to children's church and work with the kids. And then all of a sudden you get that kid who, who ate Fruit Loops that morning. And ate Fruit Loops and kept eating them and eating them and eating them. And gets there and gets all hype and then... All over your nice new dress or pants, if you're into pants, I guess. I don't know. I just, sometimes I speak and I realize how sexist I sound. I'm not sexist. Just thought I'd throw that out there, side note. But if I have to tell you that, then... I'm probably sexist. Just thought I'd say it, right? It's like saying, hey, I'm not racist. Mm, you said it. 
Anyway, I'm sorry. We're going to keep going. This is just opposition I get. So, oh, you're going to make a choice. You're going to say, you know what? This is what I believe God is calling me to do, right? And the first thing that that somebody else is going to say to you is this. They're going to go, you? You? God is calling you to do that? Nobody's ever heard that when you said, when you, when you like try to, we talked about that vision that God has given you, right? And, and, and the elevator speech and the elevator talk and the little pitch, the little, little one sentence thing. And you, you got it down to a, a T and you go and you go and you spill it out to somebody and they, they look at you and go, you, you're going to do that. Aren't you a woman? Women can't speak. That's all, right? It, it, nobody's ever heard that as a woman, right? Now, I know somebody in the audience has been ordained for over 60 years. You've never heard that women should never speak, right? Mmm, I just hit a nerve. Because I'm telling you, it's out there. Some, I've, I've read church doctrines that have it written in there. I have a few women in this church that are ordained. And smarter than me. And I would let them speak any day. Just putting it out there. But the opposition comes. It comes out of nowhere. What's another one? Hey, you know what? I want to I try to foster kids. <laughs> you can't even handle the kids you got now. God wouldn't call you to do that. Okay, that one was a little more personal. Right? Don't be surprised when you face opposition. Don't be shocked. You know what's most shocking is, is not facing opposition. See, I like to play chess, but my chessboard is in life, okay? And so I try to put all these pieces in place and understand moves that are coming, and it's always the move that I don't see that hurts me. Because it's the ones that we love, that we expect to be on our side, that tell us we've got to be crazy. Amen? Opposition. Don't ever be surprised when you take a step of faith and you see the, the, the enemy push back. Because advancement invites opposition. So what do we know about our enemy, this, the devil? I've already went through and said, yes, do you believe in the devil? Because uh, did you know that there was a study done and only 30% of Christians believe in the devil? You guys didn't know that? You guys got to do more studying of studying. See, what I do is I study people who study. (laughs) And I just report on their studies, right? I just co-sign their stuff. It's something like that. It was a Barna study, and I, and I like Barna's studies, but it was just, I, I don't know, it just shocked me. And, I, and don't quote me on that. Go look it up for yourself. Be a Berean and go, go fact check my stuff. But it was alarming. It was an alarming number. Matter of fact, let's say this. Even if it's 70, let's flip it and say it's seven, only 70% of Christians actually believe in the enemy, the devil. That's alarming too, okay? Because here, what that says is this is that, yeah, I believe in Jesus, just not everything that he believes in. Think about that, because it's Jesus who told me that the devil was real. Okay? And if we believe Christ is real, and Christ is the way, the truth, if we believe that he's the truth, then he's the whole truth. We can't discount this this part of it. So, understanding that, what do we know about our enemy, the devil? I know this to be true, that he does not bother those who are not a threat. So if you've never met the enemy, that means you're not doing something right. Right? Do you understand this? Okay. So let's say, let's put this back into context. Throw it out there. If if only 30% of people who are believers believe in the enemy, that means that 70% of believers are not doing the right thing. That's deep, right? Now, let's flip it again and say only 70% of believers believe in the enemy. 
that means corresponding that 30% of believers still are not doing the right thing. Both of those numbers are alarming. We know that there's a lot of believers out there that are not doing the right thing. Right? We know it. We know it in our spirits. We see it all the time. We may even see it in our own lives and know that we're not doing the right thing. Here's the thing. If you're, if you're walking his way, doing his will, and when I say his, we're talking about the enemy. He's going to leave you alone completely. But the moment you step out and try to honor God, flags start to go up all over hell. Hell begins to break loose. You ever heard that term? Right? Flags start going up all over the place. You ever heard the term red flags? There's red flags. Maybe it's because they're in hell and they're coming up all over the place, right? And they're red. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Demons are going to be released to go and stop you from doing what you know God put in your heart. So here's the thing. You need to expect spiritual opposition when you do the will of God. Satan tries to oppose the work of God. That is his purpose. And so if you're doing the work of God, he will try to oppose you. So if you don't want any opposition, what I'm saying is this. If you want to have a real easy life, I'll tell you how to do it. What I recommend is that you just coast along through life. Have no purpose, no real purpose. Be comfortable. Ooh. Live the American dream. Because isn't that what it is? Is it really America's dream? Or is it the enemy's dream? Because if you're seeking out comfortability, then I got to say you're on the wrong team. You're on the wrong team. I would tell you this. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you're really serving God. I know this is not a, a sunshine and roses kind of thing. I get it. I get it. You know, I always look around on, uh, and I always say always. Once a week I get on Facebook. And not, not any more than that. I try not to be dominated by everybody's fake lives. I'm not saying your life is fake. Just all those set up pictures, right? Hashtag Blessed. Anybody ever seen a hashtag? All you got to do is go and search hashtag blessed and, and you'll see all these people. Right? Sitting on their new car. Hashtag blessed. The good life. Life is good. Life is easy. Nope. Right? They got the perfect little selfies. Get my left side, not my right side. Right? If you want to be left alone by the enemy, you can go to church if you want. But whatever you do, don't engage. Don't engage in church. Right? Don't you dare start to pray. Don't serve. Don't give. By all means, do not give. Don't care about the things that God cares about. That's how we can have an easy life. You can do some spiritual things, enough to make you feel good, but not enough to make a real difference. You understand what I'm saying? I'm being sarcastic, yes, okay? But it's so true, isn't it? That's all we have to do to have an easy life. We can skate through this thing. We can skate through it. Because the moment you step out of your comfort zone and seek God and God's will and try to represent his love and do something significant, the problem is when you step out, the devil tries to step in and stop you from doing the work of God. That will happen, okay? Here's, here's what I'll help you understand. God is calling some of you to step up. 
That's the reality. To serve, to tithe, to pray, to invite, to show love. But here's the thing, not just in the church, not just in this church, but in the world. You understand that? In his kingdom, represent his kingdom in a world that has fallen and broken. Just like the walls of Nehemiah, be that ordinary person who only, your only job is to pick up a brick and put it on the wall and be a part of this whole thing. But you got to put yourself out there. I don't care what you are, what you're doing with your life. We have perfume makers. We have uh, painters. We have people that have never done manual labor, picking up bricks and putting them on the wall to be a part of this plan, this ordinary man's call. We need to be a part of it. And here's the thing. The moment you do, you're going to face the fire. You're going to find some opposition, not just from the enemy, but you're going to have critics and you're going to have haters. How many of you guys understand what critics and haters are? All you have to do, anybody have social media and you just post one thing and you're like, oh, I thought this was a good thing. And then you got critics and haters, critics and haters, critics and haters, hashtag stop it. Right. You know, what's funny. I, I, I was watching the fights last night. Uh, it was Saturday. Fights come on Saturday. And I was watching the fights last night. And I realized something last night. The loudest boos. You understand what boos are? I don't have boo. All right. The loudest boos usually come from the cheapest seats. Let that sit in for a second, right? Nehemiah steps up and Sanballat and Tobiah come and they try to tear him down. So how do you respond to critics? Because I believe that Nehemiah shows us that too. Okay? And this is important. Write this down. So how do you respond to haters, to naysayers, and to doubters? How do you respond? The answer is most of the time you don't. How many, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but a lot of times we get critics and haters, especially online. And what do we do? We try to correct them. Don't we? Well, they just don't see it the way that I, I think they should. So let me help them. Has that ever helped? No, 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 no. Normally people are, especially, especially politically, right? Have, has anybody ever convinced somebody politically to be on their side when they're not online because you responded to a post? You shouldn't do that. You're a Christian. Christians should love. Love the world. Love your enemy, especially if they represent the other side. How can you hate this? How can you be against this? I don't understand how you could hate a group of people. I don't understand. That has never helped. You you have not convinced one person to be on your side. Not one. Do you know what you just did? You played into the critic's trap. You played right into their trap. And guess what? That critic, he now has power. She now has power over you. And taking your your, your focus from something great to trying to change somebody's mind and convince them that you're right? See, a lot of people, I believe, care more about being right than they do about doing right. So how do you respond to critics and haters? You don't. Because when I don't, I strip their power. I strip their power. When I don't, you know what I do? I leave them wondering, why don't they care about what I said? Because I don't. I don't serve you. I don't serve at your pleasure. I don't serve at your will. You know what I do? I work for God. 
and I am doing his will. And, and by doing his will, do you know what else I'm doing? I am seeking his approval. Because when I seek your approval, I make you the deity. When I try to change your mind and make you see things the way I see it, you know what I make? I make me the deity. Any gods up in this piece? No. No. If there are, you've been watching too much TV and believing in the lies. <laughs> so let me ask you this. How do you respond to the haters, the naysayers, and the doubters? You don't. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Some of you might lose sleep over it, but you're going to lose a lot less sleep not responding than you are by trying to get them to change their mind. Well, you shouldn't watch this news channel. You should watch this one instead. Because if you watch this one instead, it will totally change your mindset. This one is complete lies. This one's all right. Really? That was the dumbest statement I've ever heard in my life. I just want you to know that. You have not convinced me one bit. Notice what Nehemiah doesn't do. He doesn't respond. He doesn't answer. He doesn't defend. God does not need you to defend him. Can I say that again? God does not need you to defend him. A lot of you like to come out like Peter with a sword and start slashing people's ears off. And then Jesus is like, man, you didn't have to do that. Let me put that ear back on. You're all better. Go. I know. Forget it. Don't take him to court. You ain't got to sue him. Okay? The ear is back on. Nobody's going to believe that he chopped your ear off and I just put it back on. So just leave. Man, he does not need you to defend. He didn't need his disciples to defend him. If he didn't need his disciples to defend him, does he need you to defend him? So stop. Stop. The biggest defense you can play for the Lord is by playing offense and doing the will of the Lord. They always say defense wins the game. Well, good offense is a great defense. Think about it. Hashtag the greatest show on turf, St. Louis Rams back in the day. Kurt Warner, who was a believer? Marshall Falk. Anyways, I won't, I won't keep going. Favorite team, though, I play on John Madden. I'm telling you, kill it every time. The only thing a response does is validates the critics. That's what it does. It just validates them. I know, if you got nothing else today... Get this. Stop responding to all the haters online. Go have coffee with them instead because you're not going to do anything online. Ignore them. Keep on doing the work of God. How do you respond? You don't. It's never easy to deal with haters, but it's even more difficult to deal from doubt from the people that you love. When the haters become the ones that you love, your parents, your kids, your spouse, your mentor, your friends, sometimes the people who are closest to you sometimes don't believe in what you're called to do. And this is what will happen for some of you when you decide to step out. You're going to feel called by God to do something, to take a step of faith. And someone you love, someone that you trust, someone that you love is going to step in with some strong words of discouragement. Who do you think you are? You're not prepared for that. Don't sell yourself short, people. Stop selling yourself short. Somebody's going to say, well, you, you, should, you should do something different. Don't be stupid with your life. I'm telling you, man. 
God is bigger than all of those people. God is bigger than that. Here, this is what I tell myself because I get, I get it from all, all ends. I do. I get, uh, I, I, every, t- every Sunday I get a heaping amount of praise and I get a heaping amount of criticism. And it's from people I love. It is. And so I have to keep telling myself this. I'm not going to be moved by praise and I'm not going to be moved by criticism. I'm not going to be moved by praise or criticism. See, what that means is this. I'm not going to let praise go to my head, and I'm not going to let criticism go to my heart. I can't, because you know what will happen? This head will get even bigger, right? And I'll be trying to get into the sanctuary and be knocking it around like, what's going on? I can't get in. And then all you got to do to deflate it is take a little pin of criticism and go, and then I'll be like, I can't get on stage. I'm the worst. I'm so bad. I'm horrible. Uh, It doesn't work like that. I have to stay even, and the way I do that is serving at the pleasure of my God. So I, as I do, I love all of your praise and I love all of your criticism. The criticism helps put things in perspective, but I will not let it go to my heart. And I will not let your praise go to my head. And I keep telling myself that every single day. And I'm telling you, it's hard. It is hard. I used to every Sunday get off stage and go run into my wife in the car and go, how did I do? And she would have to say, He did great. He did great. (sighs) Good. Don't criticize on Sunday. Wasn't that like a rule? Don't don't be criticizing me on Sunday. Then we'd be laying in bed and she'd be like, you could have did this. And be like, what? Now I'm up all night. Pacing the floor. Reading back through my notes, listening to the thing again. No, 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 no. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Right? Trying to defend it and just uh, trying to justify what I did and all this stuff. No, 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 no. I can't live like that. You can't live like that. That takes our faith and puts it on like this whole bipolar scale. Extreme highs, extreme lows, extreme highs, extreme lows. I can't live. Can you live like that? Then stop. Right? Anybody ever see that SNL skit? And the guy went to the counselor and he started telling him his problems and he goes, Stop it! What? Can I just tell you? No, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna save you all this time. Just stop it. That's what he said all the time. Guy couldn't even get his stuff out. He was like, Well, I do this. Stop it! Just stop. Instead of engaging on a lower level, Nehemiah, he turns to a higher power. And once again, we see Nehemiah begin to pray. And here's what he prays. Watch this. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. In other words, we've got haters that are coming onto us. And he keeps going. (laughs) And like I said, I think this is a prayer that sometimes, you know, if I'm being honest, I like to pray. He says, he goes, turn their insults back on their heads. Oh, they want to, they want to criticize me, God. I'm doing your work. You know what they can do? Huh? Huh? You know what they can do. I hope, man. And then I'm like, ah, that's not the spirit. But I had to get it out, right? Yeah, I'm not telling you that's how you should pray, but it's right there in black and white. Anyways, he obviously needs some maturing, right? And it, and it was written. Um, it hadn't been written to turn the other cheek yet. That comes a thousand years later. He says, give them over as a plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. Send them to hell where the worm never dies. That's, a, that's just kind of, that's harsh. 
where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. They're insulting the people that are doing your work, God. And we haven't even got to verse 6 yet. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. Why? For the people worked with all their heart. What did Nehemiah do in the face of opposition? He prayed to God and he got back to work. He sought the heart of God and then he went back to work. And the wall continued to go up. Why? Because the people worked with all their hearts. There wasn't room for the critics to get there in their hearts. Because they were doing the work of God. They weren't lowering themselves down to fight those who are arguing about petty things on Facebook with no context or emotion behind it. And most of the time, maybe they didn't even mean what you think they meant. So just let it go. Why? Because we have a higher calling, doing the will of God. They went to God in prayer, and then they got back to doing the work of God. I love this about Nehemiah. He was both spiritual and practical. Some of us need to find that kind of balance. Some of us, we get too spiritual and we start to slip off the road. Some of us, we get too practical and we start to slip off the road. I've heard it described that God wants balance in our lives and it's like a, a, a crust in the road. And he wants us driving in the middle. Because if we go too far to the right, we'll slide into the ditch. And if we go too far to the left, we'll slide into the ditch. And he said the, the ditches are too much spiritual, too much practical. If he didn't want them both, he wouldn't have made you flesh and spirit. He would pray as if everything depended on God. And then he would work as if everything depended on him. I think there are some people who need a little less practical and a little more spiritual. And then there's some people who need to be a little less spiritual and a little more practical. We are all spiritual and all practical. We need you, God. You guide our steps. Yet we show up to work. You understand that? We need your direction, and yet we roll up our sleeves and we get to work. We need your power, yet we take out our shovels. We need your grace, yet we're willing to do what you called us to do. We take a moment to pray, and then we show back up to work. Going all the way down to verse 10. And in the middle of all this, all of this criticism, the people of Judah said this. And these are Nehemiah's people. They said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. See, last week we saw progress. This week we see discouragement. And this is exactly what happens so often when we step into doing what we believe is the will of God. We see a little bit of progress, and then we see a little bit of opposition. A little bit of progress, a little bit of opposition. Verse 11 says this. This is what Scripture says. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them, and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Our enemies, they're going to kill us, and they're going to end all the work of God. Then the Jews who lived nearby came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack. So what do you see? We see Nehemiah's friends, his people, the people of Judah starting to doubt. They're not just doubting what others are, are going to do, but they're actually doubting their own ability to get the job done. So we've talked about uh, a few different types of opposition, spiritual opposition, external opposition of haters, opposition from people that love uh, me. And the ones that I think is the most difficult is whenever it's internal opposition. 
when my own insecurities raise their ugly heads. Who do you think you are? You can't do this. I don't know who this speaks to, but I know that, man, this, I get this a lot in my own life. Listening more to the inner insecurities than you do to the voice of God. If I can just be gut level honest with you that the most difficult battle I face is the voice in my own head that tells me again and again, you will never be enough. You're not smart enough. Doesn't matter how hard you try, you're always gonna be inadequate. And that voice echoes and it haunts my soul. You could never get it done. You, you could never be good enough. You're not gonna measure up and here's what I've learned. The external opposition will only be as loud as my internal insecurities allow them to be. That's why we have to rise above it. That's why we have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's why we don't look to the left or to the right or listen to what the lower echelon says. And you know who the lower echelon is? Everybody on earth. I listen to the higher calling, the higher voice. Who's your authority? Your enemies? You? Or your God? Because it plays out in the way we live our lives. Verse 14. And I close with this. Nehemiah hears the people, and they're discouraged, they're giving up, they're giving out, they don't think it can be done. And Nehemiah says, after I looked things over again, the leader in him is, uh, is he's kind of surveying the lay of the land. And it said, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. He said, don't be afraid of the enemies. The enemies that we describe today are the external voices, the devil, demons, spiritual workings outside of yourself, outside of the will of God, your critics, your haters, the inner voice that tells you you can't do it. He said, don't be afraid of the enemies. Those are your enemies that keep you from doing the will of God. Thanks for joining us. I hope this message blessed you. Our goal is to connect you to God's people, God's word, and his mission for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org. Again, that's glfirst.org. Hope to see you next week. God bless.